Well, we're so glad you're here. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm the guy you'll usually see if you're new with us up here on any given Sunday. And, um, you know, it just so happens that April Fool's Day is today. So I have some, I tried my best to find some good April Fool's resurrection memes. So if you have a better one, text it to me, 5409784. But here's a few that I found, um, I think, I found. Um, Amazing, right? B-R-B-L-O-L, amazing. Okay, if you're not from that generation, just ask the person next to you what B-R-B means and L-O-L. Be right back. Okay, thank you. Sorry, that was a generational one. Wow. Mm. We believe in the next generation, amen, and all of their language and stuff. This is a good one. I like that, you know. It just gets way deeper from here, so just bear with me. And I think my personal favorite, if you don't know what the word psych means, then ask your neighbor again. It's a, these, were, these were generationally sensitive, and I apologize for that if I left you out. But in all, in all seriousness, we, we celebrate today and every Sunday is the fact that we serve not a, a God who is the figment of our imagination. We don't, we don't serve uh, just a guru who did cool teachings or even a miracle worker who did some neat things with dirt and spit. And if you know the gospel stories, he was crazy. But we serve the risen king who is Lord of heaven and earth named Jesus. And you know we celebrate that fact and that reality every single week. But we, we press into that, um, especially on days like today, Easter. And we just want to say right here at the beginning that whatever you're facing, whatever feels dead in your life, the fact of the resurrection is good news for you today. That your, whatever you're facing does not have to be the last word because the final and definitive word is the word that God has spoken through his son, Jesus, which is life, which is hope, which is healing which is salvation. So every week you'll hear us, we'll worship, we'll sing some songs, we'll have our kids come forward, we'll bless them if you're just checking out the whole Jesus and church thing. And then every week we will open up this imitation leather bound, silver shiny paged book. Okay, that's what mine looks like. What does yours look like? Maybe you have a digital version. I personally do my devotions these days with apps on my iPad, but Every week you will see us at Cornerstone Church crack open this book and we will hear some teaching, we will read some Bible verses, and we will do our best to submit ourselves to what we hear, what we're being taught, because in the submission and obedience to the word, there is a life on the other side that is abundant, that is flourishing, that is full of life and purpose. If you agree, say amen. And so as a faith community, not only do we lift up the person and work of Jesus, we also investigate the, the ways of Jesus through the scriptures. And we do this primarily not just because the Bible, you know, all of the facts about the manuscripts and that it's reliable and that there's archaeological digs and finds that have sort of helped us a ton to prove that it's worth submitting to this book, but centrally the reason we submit to the scriptures 
is because our hero, King Jesus, submitted to the scriptures. His entire life and his entire ministry was infused and informed by, for what was him, the Hebrew scriptures. His teachings are dripping with allusions, many times with direct quotes. And so look no further than the fact that we at Cornerstone Church are a Jesus people. And because we're a Jesus people, Jesus was a man of the scriptures. And so just if you're new to the church thing and the Jesus and the God thing, we love reading and abiding and being taught the scriptures because in them, in obedience to the ways of God, is the life that we could never get to on our own apart from him. If you agree, say amen. amen. The Bible is not a textbook, and we all said amen who didn't like school, where it's just about getting information. It's not a cookbook where you kind of just try to get a little bit from this verse and that, and then out pops a beautiful recipe and a life you always dreamed. It's not a coffee table book where it's just some good old inspiring stories of grit and determination. Come on, somebody. It's not a magic book where if you just rub a couple of the pages together, poof, you get your miracle or whatever, not like what you see on TV. Come on. It's not even a rule book, and we all said amen. It's not just on how to live, although there is information, there are principles, there's certainly inspiration, there's power in the word, but it's not predominantly about any of, all, any of those things. The Bible is a story that is unified from cover to cover that points us to Jesus. And so every work, every week, even though we'll, maybe sometimes we'll read from an Old Testament or a New Testament or a Psalm, but here behind this pulpit, we will always get on and into the person and work of Jesus because they all point to him. It's the story of what God is doing in the world and in the heavens through his son, Jesus Christ. This is review for many of you, but for some of you, if you're new to this thing, we love the scriptures because they point us to Jesus. There's an amazing passage where these guys who were experts in memorizing three quarters of the Bible, they were called teachers of the law and Pharisees. They had this much memorized by heart. And here's what Jesus said to them about how to read the scripture. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them and them alone that you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So who is the source of life in this passage? Thank you, Lance. Come on, say it a little bit louder. Jesus. We submit to the scriptures week in and week out because they point us to Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, come on, somebody, it's life every time. Okay, that was just a little intro in case you're wondering, why do we, what are, we, what are you going to teach on? What are you going to preach on? We love to orient our lives around the scriptures. I'm going to skip some of these things because it's awesome. If you're with us, we are starting a brand new series. You're like, what's a series? It's not like a series you watch on Netflix when you binge watch at night. It's a, it's a, it's a journey that we go on together over a period of weeks where we look at a consistent theme through many different angles. And this, the, the series we're starting today is through the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a small letter. It's four pages. How many think they could read four pages this week if I gave you an assignment? That wasn't supposed to be a joke. Come on, let me see a show of hands. You could read four pages. We are going to go on a 12-week or so journey unpacking these four little pages that theologians, doctors, geniuses who have a bunch of letters after their name 
many of which consider as one of the most power-packed, dynamic four pages in the whole story of the Bible. And so we're going to kick off. I wanted you to get an experience of what we do every week so that you're like, man, Easter was this way, but then I came back the next week with my friend who invited me this week, and it was all of a sudden different. No, every week we submit to the scriptures, we teach and we preach, and then we respond in faith, and we, we anticipate God's working in our life as a result of saying yes to his word. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, I ask right now as we open this word, as we've talked about it, I ask that you would speak to us in a powerful way. I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would realize all that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take the words that are written on paper or on a mobile device and that you, by the Spirit, would right now make them alive again as we hear them and as they pierce our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said amen and amen. Now, just a very brief word, because how many know in every story, if you don't understand the context, you won't actually get the guts of what the story is all about. If you agree, say amen. The story of Ephesians is a guy named Paul who was an ex-murderous threat who tried to snuff out the move of the resurrected Jesus and his church. He was on the road to betray and to, to cast his lot to silence the work of God through the church that was just born after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was on his way to do this, and he was blinded by Jesus himself. How many have been blinded, dead in their tracks, when they were going in a path they thought was right until you met Jesus? And he, he was blinded by Jesus. He was literally blind for three days, prayer and fasting, and then God raised up a guy called Ananias, and he said, Ananias, go to my, my guy that I handpicked named Saul on Straight Street. Lay your hands on him, because I've got a message and a mantle to give this man who will spread the good news of Jesus, the king, over all the earth. And so in Paul's blindedness, the Lord showed him in a vision, a guy's going to come, and he's going to pray for you, and you're going to receive sight. Ananias comes, he gets his sight, he's baptized, he's filled with the Spirit, and homeboy starts preaching up a storm all over the known world. And in one such city called Ephesus, that's why it's written to the Ephesians, the people of the town, he rolls up, and the story's in Acts 19. I do not have time to go through all of Acts 19, but suffice it to say, it is a bustling metropolitan city. It is both the religious center of the region. It is the intellectual with the largest library in the world region. It has the one of the seven wonders of the world of a temple devoted to a goddess named Artemis. So this city is one of the most influential cities in all of the earth. Trade and commerce and roads and rivers and seas all crossed through, so it was of utmost importance in the transfer of goods and services, military operations, all of it, right in the center is this place called Ephesus. And it's right here in this metropolis, this city bustling with religion and intellect and power. Many of the Caesars kept their own personal bank account, those that ruled the world at the time of Jesus, in the temple of Artemis. And it's in this metropolitan, buzzing city that the glory of King Jesus is unleashed in an unprecedented manner. Which is to say this, it doesn't matter this, the temperature or the dynamic of our city, the gospel has power to transform everything in that city. There's a radical revival in Acts chapter 19. 
Many people come to faith in the Lord. They're healed. Many of those who practice sorcery burn millions of dollars of their scrolls and their incantations. And they began to follow Jesus and confess all of the areas where they were still following the gods of their culture. And then Paul, for two years, pours his heart and soul into a few Jesus followers. And after a few years with the people less than that's in this room, the entire region heard the good news about Jesus through a few people who would gather for two years to get equipped, who got caught up in the glory of Jesus. And through those few Christ followers, everyone in an entire region of hundreds of thousands of people heard the, heard the good news of Jesus. Come on, somebody. If he could do it 2,000 years ago, could he not do it today in our midst? And so Paul he helps establish this church, many followers, miracles are happening, and then he leaves, and then as he often found himself in prison. Now, why did Paul find himself in prison all the time? Because someone help me. Not because he was a religious stinker. Come on, how many know a religious stinker when you've seen one? Paul was principally imprisoned town after town because he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. No one had a problem with proclaiming a Jesus who's a good teacher. No one had a problem with a Jesus who's a good healer. No one even had a problem with the Jesus who laid down his life to pay for the sins of the world. But no one had room in their grid or their worldview for a Jesus who was raised from the dead and crowned king of heaven and earth. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 24, when he's in prison before the governor Felix, he just comes right out and says it. He says, the reason I'm in prison is because I proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Death could not hold you if you agree, say amen. There's an amazing quote by a guy called Philip Yancey. Love this quote. He says this, in many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims. I can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means that Jesus must be loose out there somewhere. <laughs> Paul, why are you in prison writing this letter to a church you planted 10 years before? Because Jesus is out there somewhere. He's doing stuff in your life. He's doing stuff in your neighbor. He's doing stuff in our city. He's doing stuff in schools. Come on, somebody. He's doing stuff in hospitals and highways and hedges. Jesus is out there somewhere, and the church is advancing all over the earth because death could not hold the one who was slain for the sins of the earth. God raised his son up, and then he sent out messengers, and the message continues to spread to this day. Why is this dude Paul, this Jesus freak in prison? Because... He proclaimed the resurrection. He was raised from the dead. Paul regularly, regularly found himself in trouble, but trouble could not stop the mantle on his life to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today what we're going to do is we're going to make quick work. I'm going to quote a few verses from this chapter. Then we're going to just draw out a few implications then we're going to say, Jesus, do what your word says in our life. If you agree, say amen. It says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace be yours from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sights. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious will and his glorious grace. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Come on, somebody. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things. Someone say all things. Come on, someone say all things. In heaven and on earth together under one head, Christ Jesus. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, someone say you also. Come on, turn to someone and say that you also is you and me in this room. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And having believed, listen, you were marked in him with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what was this passage all about? There's too much in there. What are these spiritual blessings that God the Father has given us through his son Jesus? If you came to church thinking you were going to get a grumpy, you're going to be all depressed and sad when you leave, you came to the wrong church, I got good news here today. I hope you came. And you know what? It doesn't even matter what attitude you came with. You are going to be met with a God who is more generous and bent on blessing you through his son than you'll know what to do with by the time you leave this place. The vision that Paul, listen, remember, Paul is writing this from prison. But in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, these 14 verses are one long sentence. You think I'm long-winded. Try the prisoner Paul writing and just riffing off the glory of Jesus while he's in change in a cold, dungy prison. And he can't help it because even in prison, the riches of the grace of Christ compel him to have a little worship celebration even when it doesn't look so good in his life. And he begins this amazing letter that we're going to unpack for 12 weeks. I love this letter. And he says, first of all, i got to praise the Father because through the Son, I have every blessing I would ever need. What are these blessings? Well, before we get to all the blessings, and there's a lot. Come on, somebody testify this morning. The number one point that we have to establish at the beginning is that the blessings are always and only found in and through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Only in and through Jesus Christ. The lie of the enemy in the garden, God is holding out on you, take the fruit, don't worry about submitting to his wisdom and his ways. The lie of the enemy is to paint a picture of a God who is stingy, who is grumpy, and who is holding out on you. But the God revealed in Jesus is a generous, gushing, benevolent, bent on blessing and lavishing his favor and grace on all of you and on all of creation. 
So the truth of the gospel reveals a God who is better and more glorious and good and kind and generous than we could ever imagine. If you've experienced that, say amen. Amen. Paul establishes that the posture of the Father is one bent on blessing. I don't know what your father was like. I know fatherlessness is an epidemic in our generation, but you've got a father in heaven who is favorably disposed toward you in Jesus Christ. He is bent on lavishing everything he's made specifically for his son. Through his son is the funnel of all of his intentions to be accomplished in your life this morning. It doesn't matter what your script is or your narrative. What are these blessings? Come on, let's unpack it. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Every human on the planet wants to be cherished, to be picked out of love, wants to be uh, pursued in relationship. If you agree, say amen. Every human on the planet from every race, nation, language, and tongue longs to be significant in the eyes of somebody around them. Everyone desires to be desired. Everyone desires to belong, to be valued, to be considered worthy. Beloved, the first blessing you can receive today in Jesus is that you are already cherished no matter what you've done from a Father in heaven who has chosen you through his Son today. That was good news. The first blessing is that you are chosen by the Father through the Son. And if you're chosen, that means you don't have to spend one more ounce of your strength puffing out your chest, trying to get noticed by your peers or your colleagues. You've already got favor on your life from a Father who loves you. Come on, that's good right there. You've been chosen before the creation of the world. It wasn't your idea to come to God today. It was his idea from before creation to come chasing you today with his grace and with his love. Come on, that's good news. To be holy. Now, do not think when you think about holiness, robes and harps. Come on, everyone say, bleh. I mean, I'm not, if you like robes and harps, I'm not hating on the garment or the instrument. I'm, har- I'm, I'm harping on what they represent, the stale, holy. How many know holiness in the eyes of God is humanity fully alive, living out of their purpose and out of the abundance and blessing of the one they're submitted to? Holiness is being totally set apart for God, ravished in his love, wrapped in his righteousness, filled with his passion and his purpose and his power to live as you and I were God-ordained, intended to live from before creation. That's holiness. Pure, radiant, beautiful, unique. Who wants to be holy today? That would be all of us. But it gets better. You're chosen to be holy and blameless. How many know every human, if you can't reach them through the door of guilt... Everyone understands the door of shame. Guilt is being sorry for what you've done. Shame is being sorry for who you've become. And in Jesus today, come on, you can stand blameless in holiness before God. It doesn't matter what sin or shame or bondage you walked up in this place in. In Christ, you can stand chosen, holy, and blameless in his sight. Come on. 
and that doesn't mean he's blind to your sin. Come on, somebody. We celebrate resurrection because there is one who took our sin on the cross of Calvary. God didn't put a blind eye to our sin. His justice and his wrath was poured out on sin once and for all so that all of humanity today can receive the favor and blessing as if you've never sinned, fully restored to relationship, blameless in the sight of a holy, loving God. This is good news. I'm happy. My abs are getting a workout. Come on, someone do crunches with me or something because I'm feeling it up here. So you've been chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. Come on, I thought it was going to be good news today. Well, here is better news. You've been adopted by God through Jesus into the family of God. Listen, it no longer depends on how the rat race, you get caught up in your work or your school or on the playground, that it's about you kind of working up your pedigree, your performance, so that somehow you'll get in the good graces of God. No, God in Christ has come all the way and has chosen us to be adopted into his family apart from anything we've done, but only because God loves you and me. I want you in my fam. Look at this. He adopts us to sonship. Now, this is not... Um, uh, sexist, you know, this is, I don't even know if that's the phrase. Let's move on. It's getting hot over there. Um, this is not, he's not just after sons. The term sonship refers to a fully grown male heir who would get all the inheritance of their papa. How I many know that's good news today? So what, this, what, the, what the blessings that I'm offering and that Jesus is offering us today is this, that if you trust in Jesus, you are adopted and you're placed in the position of a son who inherits all that the father has promised to give his son, Jesus. That's not a bad day at the office. Why does he do this? Why does he adopt us in Jesus? Why does he bring us out of our orphan spirit? Why does he bring us out of our filth and our sin and the pig pens that we wallow in? Oh, he just does it because of his pleasure and will. How many know that the God we serve is not out to get you? He's out to save you. He's out to redeem you and reclaim you and remake you and restore you from the inside out. If you agree, say amen. He's done this through his glorious grace that he's freely given us. The Father loves us so much, he wants to adopt all of us in this room into his family. There is a God revealed in Luke 14 who is insatiably devoted to having a house at the end of the age that is full to the brim, where they have to break down walls, bring new tables, because so many people are being brought into his family. You can see that it's in Luke 14, I promise. It's there. You've been chosen, holy, royal. Look at this. It gets better. I think it gets better. And read this with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, what is this redemption all about? It means you're set free from the power and the tyranny of being a slave to sin. Come on, that was way better news. It means that thing you don't want to do, but you keep doing that endless reel of trying to clean yourself up, that endless reel of hearing the word of God and then trying to do it in your own strength. God in Christ has rescued, has delivered, has saved you from the clutches and the fangs of the enemy himself, and you have been brought through the blood of Jesus under new ownership, and his one purpose and agenda is to give you life, life to the full. 
You have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. This reminds us of the Exodus story way back in Exodus chapter 12 when God redeemed Israel from their slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. Only this is a greater deliverance because how many know they were set free from slavery but they were still slaves on the inside. So Come on, somebody. So the rescue that God brings us does not just change our outward circumstances, it reestablishes God's reign and God's rule in our hearts so that once we're free from slavery, we can stay free and explore what it means to be a son or a daughter in the grace and love of our God. None of this was our idea, by the way. All, look at that, in accordance with the riches of his grace, This was all God's idea, God's acting. It was all on God's part, in God's power, and through God's plan. You may be here today thinking, I just got roped in because my friend promised me tri-tip after the service. Praise God. (laughs) You've got a really good friend. Come on, someone say amen. Amen. But I believe you were not even here by your own choice that God's spirit has been preparing you for this very moment to understand that God is not out to get you. He's not stingy or grumpy, but there's a God who wants to bless you in Jesus today and radically transform your life by one choice and then followed up by many choices that just say, yes, God, you really are that good through Jesus. So what again, let's just review because, you know, we're almost there. What is being offered to us in Christ today, the one who was crucified and raised from the dead? Well, how's that? You're chosen in Jesus. Come on, that's a good day. You're holy. No more trying to cover yourself up. You're blameless. No more listening to the lies of the enemy that says you're worthless, that you're trash, that you're throwaway. You are adopted, no longer, you know, I can just see a picture in my mind's eye, tiptoeing hope that when father comes home that he'll see you. No, you've got a father that sees you in Jesus, and he says, mine, I want you in my family. Today in Christ, you are offered redemption, forgiveness of your sins, rescue from the slavery of that sin and that destructive habit once and for all, and oh, by the way, you're offered forgiveness, a whole life of misdeeds, in a moment in the grace of God, your slate is wiped clean through Jesus. That's good good preaching. I'm gonna get excited in a minute, just in a minute. So how do we get in Christ? That's a great question. Great, thanks for asking. How do we get there? Well, you've gotta memorize like 65 verses you got to obey a bunch of rules. and <sighs> Thanks, man. That was perfect. I'm not paying him, by the way, for being that awesome. He's just that awesome. How do we get there, beloved? How do we get in on these blessings through the death and resurrection of Jesus? How do we experience being chosen, holy, blameless, adopted, redeemed, forgiven? Remember, Paul's writing this from prison. <laughs> And he's so stoked on who he is in Jesus. How many know that today, it doesn't matter what your outward circumstances, you can be brand new on the inside that will begin to seep out into the rest of your life. How do we get in Christ? It's one word that is a full word. Say it with me. Faith. Thank you. If all these blessings, like we said, there's like 10 of them listed in this one 14-verse chunk. Ten blessings, at least, in Jesus. Faith. Now, what is faith? This is an amazing definition. It's my favorite I've found by a guy called Gordon Smith. 
Faith is the act of what? And of, say those two words again, of trust and of turning from self-dependence. Come on, has anyone struggled with self-dependence? Can I just be honest in the house of the Lord today? I struggle with self-dependence. Anyone else with me? Faith is turning from self-dependence to dependence on God. How many know you depend on God? He never fails. He never has a bad day at the office. He's never grumpy. And every blessing he's made available in Christ. Oh, by the way, why is it significant that they're in the heavenly realms? Because they're not subjected to the rust and the decay of all of the riches that are in the earthly realm. Therefore, if they're in heaven, that means they're always available, they're always accessible, and they're always running on full in abundance. So all of these blessings never depend on your circumstances. They depend on the faithfulness of God revealed through Jesus Christ. And when we turn and we trust and depend on God, these blessings, look what happens. We turn from a life oriented towards ourselves, our own agenda. We turn toward God. And look, it finishes with this. Amazing. Faith means nothing if it doesn't represent this radical turning. In other words, repentance, this big fancy word that simply means I'm turning from my own sin, my own self, and I'm going to run to the one. And by the way, what you'll discover when you turn from yourself is a God who has already turned toward you, running down the road to give you a hug and say, I love you and I'm for you. It's the good news of Easter, folks. When we turn from ourselves, we discover a God who's already turned toward us in love. He's already turned toward us. We've been marked. We've been claimed. Today, you may think and be living under the illusion that you've got this. You can rule your own life. But the good news today is that no matter what you brought in here, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, whatever story you're living out of, there is a story that is a truer story that revolves around Jesus. And Jesus, the king of that story, is bent on making everything new. He's bent on taking sinners and making them saints. He's bent on taking those who are bound, crushed under the weight of their choices and their sin, and making something beautiful out of those ashes. He is bent on looking at your dead in sin heart and saying life and raising you from your own destruction and putting you in the place of one who is favored, chosen, holy, royal, love, blameless, redeemed, forgiven, and free. That's the God that we serve today. It's the God that we serve. It's the God that I met when I was 16 years old, stuck with lust, stuck with partying. I'm almost 34. If you're trying to do the guess, my birthday's tomorrow. You're welcome. Amen. 34. I was 16 years old. I was 16 years old. I had memorized verses. I had known the grace of God, and I backed away. Come on, is anyone going to be honest? You backed away. Maybe some in this room have backed away. I had backed away. My sister tattle told on me. She went and told my dad I'd been partying, and my dad's six foot four, 400 pounds. You don't mess with him with a big, deep voice and a beard. And my dad called me into his room, and he said, son, what are you doing? That's all he had to say. He said, you're grounded. You can only go to church and to school, my two favorite places. Come on. We can be honest today. It's okay to be honest. It's Easter. I went into my room and I cracked open the book. I just started, I started, I just remember, I'm sorry, it's 18 years ago, but I remember. I opened the book and I began to read about who I am in Jesus, not who I am in my sin. 
I read about who I'm meant to become in God's spirit, not in my own striving. I began to read and cry out to God, and I found myself in this old person prayer meeting, a bunch of old ladies. Come on, give it up for the old ladies who know how to connect with heaven. And I went to a prayer meeting, and it was all older ladies, and I'm not disrespecting. I love the older generation. Ask anyone who knows me. I love them. And I just sat in this awkward prayer meeting, and they were all praying like they knew the one they were praying to. And I knew in my heart, man, this is it. This is the choice. This is the choice that will set off all the other choices in my life. And it was a moment of complete sobriety. How many have ever turned to God or experienced the song on the radio or a scene in a movie, and your heart melted and you began to cry? That's cool. I love those moments. I got them all the time. But this moment wasn't like that. Come on, somebody. No emotion. It was a showdown between me and Jesus, and he was bent on winning. (laughs) That was a good word right there. He's bent on winning. And I sat there in this old person's prayer meeting, a church that could seat 4,000, but the prayer meeting was about 12. It was awesome. That's all we needed. (laughs) And it was a Thursday night, and I bent my heart And I faithed in God. No emotion. I made a choice of my will. I said, enough already playing the religious, shame-filled, hide, be one way somewhere with one friend and the other. And I sat there and I prayed a serious prayer that was, you know, I'm a serious person. God's been loosening me up ever since. And then he gave me three kids, one on the way to really loosen me up. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And I sat there in that prayer meeting, totally serious. It didn't matter. There was no tears. Tears wouldn't have hurt, but. I said, God, I'm done. Come on, how many know when, at the end of you is the beginning of him? And I just opened my heart. I said, Lord, I can't do good. You got to make me good. How many know there's a vast difference? Come on, somebody, testify. I said, God, I, I, wanna, I can't do holy. How many have tried to do holy? It just smells like doo-doo when you try to do holy. I said, God, but I know your word says you. I'm holy in you. you got to make me holy. How many know there's a difference between doing and duty and being made and being? And I prayed that simple prayer, no tears. It was my dad can tell you the whole prayer. He showed up, and I was ticked because he was there and whatever. He's like my best friend. I call him every day. And I prayed. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And for two weeks, I began to get up an hour early. You don't have to feel pressure to do this. This was my journey. I began to pray an hour before school. I'd come home and I'd begin to read and memorize passages like I quoted today. An hour a day. I figured I was a really good sinner. I might as well become a really good saint. That's not self-righteousness. That line can be blurry. Come on, somebody, say amen. But how many know God and his grace, he's not opposed to you going after him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he's gone after you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength in his son. And for two weeks, sort of no emotions, you know, you may make a choice today and maybe you've got the tears and God bless your tears, sir or ma'am. Maybe you won't have any tears today. God bless your non-tears, sir or ma'am. But after two weeks, I was in my room, I was beside my bed and I was just reading and I was, I'm sorry, I remember it. And I was just spending time with the Lord and, and I just began to weep. And it was like one of those like ugly weeping. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you know, the snot kind rolling down your face. Come on, how many have had a messy, ugly cry? Come on, someone say amen. I'm about to have one. I went into my dad's room and 
I said, Dad, I didn't do it. I didn't drink again. I didn't have, I didn't lust. I didn't look at something I wasn't supposed to. Dad, why am I weeping? He goes, just go ask God. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> and this is why I believe God can grab the hearts of the next generation, because he grabbed mine. I went back to my room, and I just began to talk to God, and it's like, just like a friend. I said, God, what's up? What's up? <laughs> <You know. laughs> And he said, dude, I got you. <laughs> that was all. There's no other punchline. I got you. And I have not even wanted to get out of that grasp for 18 years. Now, have I been perfect? Far from it. But something happened in my life where there was no turning back. And I figured the life that God is offering me in Jesus is better than any life I could ever manufacture or conjure up or try to manufacture in my own talent, ability, and resource. The life that God is offering every person in this room, yea, all of creation itself is a life more abundant, full of flourishing and blessing all in and through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And every one of those blessings can be yours today. You may have came in here with a poverty mindset. You're going to leave filthy, rich, and grace. Come on, how many think that's a pretty good day at the office? And so I don't know if you want to respond today. I know my response, it didn't have tears. Maybe yours will. It's not really about the tears. How many know there's a God, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? How many know sometimes our hearts, because of sin, because of the effects of selfishness, get so bent and funky and black, it's harder to know which way is up and which way is down. Come on, how many have been there in their sin? I've been there in my sin. But how many know the next verse is the great hope of today? But I, the Lord, see the heart. And when he sees the heart, Romans 8, verse 1, he doesn't look to condemn your heart of sin. He, in Christ, is redeeming your heart of sin through his grace and his mercy and his love. So you may not know which way is up or down, but if you know enough to know that the good news is that Jesus was dead for your sins, he bore the stripes for the punishment of the peace that you have longed for since your first breath, that he has taken that punishment on himself, he has drained death of all of its fury and its force and its power over your life, and he was vindicated through the sufficiency of his sacrifice by his father, even his raising, he trusted his father's power, not his own. And he has been enthroned at the right hand of glory. And even now, he's mediating grace and peace to every person in this room. And he's saying, come to me, all of you who are weary, beaten, and broken. And I've got life on tap today. Life on tap. So if you need to respond in faith today, you say, you know what, my life's a mess. And you know, if that's all you know, but you know that the mess is no match for the grace of God. The mess of your life is no match for the mercy and the grace and the love that is being served to us through Jesus Christ today. If that's you, I just want you to stand where you're at. Can you have some courage? I'm standing with you. Yes, brother, you can just stand right where you're at. You say, I wanna respond. Come on, somebody else. You say, I wanna, I'm, this is it. I'm, I'm turning and I'm trusting. Come on, we got some brothers in honesty. Anyone else, you just say, Chatty, do I have to stand? Well, technically not, but if you want to stand, you just might get touched extra. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't have a quota. I'm not reporting to anybody. I'm not, it doesn't make me feel better. It makes him happy when his children respond to his grace. 
Anyone else just say, Chatty, I want to respond. I want to put my faith in this, these riches that are mine in Jesus today. I want to turn from myself and my sin, but turning's not enough. I want to trust that Jesus is enough. Come on, somebody. That Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen. If you stood up, man, just right now in 10 seconds, Jesus, just say, Jesus, I trust you. I turn from my sin and I trust you. And I'm gonna go on a journey with you, Jesus. I'm gonna learn how to live out the riches of your grace. I'm gonna learn how to live out of the riches of your grace. Whether it's here in this church or with other people who know you better than me, I'm set on becoming all that you've said I am today through the blessings of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that sin is forgiven where it is confessed. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you, but that, Lord, your grace and your love meet our sin, and you say canceled, forgiven, clean, holy, redeemed, blameless in my sight today. And Lord, I pray that my brothers and my sisters today, we would just receive this fresh mercy and grace. We don't have to work it up. It's just a yes. It is a choice this morning to say yes. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we just give the Lord a shout for those who stood? Woo! Come on, guys. Love it. It's awesome. Thank you. I want to invite you to stand, and this is how we're going to end. Everyone, please stand to your feet. Leah's going to come and just sing one of the most amazing things, a guy that's really way smarter than me. He said when God wanted to explain what he was doing in our life, he didn't give us a bunch of long theories. He told us a story, and then he gave us a meal. Come on, somebody. How many know it's a little bit easier to get what the message is when your belly's full? And he said, here's what I'm doing in the world. I'm giving my life on the cross. My body is going to be broken so that the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of creation itself can be remade through my sacrifice. If that's good news, say amen. And then he's saying through the cup that represents his blood, the sin that runs more deep than we could ever imagine, the rebellion of humanity, the rebellion of creation itself, the fractured nature of our world because of sin. He's saying my love and my blood will run deeper than that sin. And through me, I'm offering the world and everyone in this place forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. And so every week we remind ourselves, not as some token meal, but we literally say, God, I want to feast again through the goodness of Jesus. And this is how we'll close our service. We have, if our, if our servers will come, we serve open communion. You don't have to be a member or whatever. You just got to put your trust in Jesus. And by you coming is an act of faith. We've got communion upstairs and two stations down here. As Leah sings, just come and respond to the riches of God's grace in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on forward and receive communion this morning. Just come on out. If you want to exit, just out to your right, and you can come. Hallelujah.
Amen. God is good. Amen. I gave good directions. Everyone was ready to go to the buffet. But thank you for those of you who stuck around. I want to send you out with this blessing and invite you to come back next week at 10 o'clock. We do this every week, and it's exciting. C.S. Lewis said this. He's a great philosopher from Britain. We'll forgive him, but anyway, amen. I lo- I'm just kidding. I, I love British people. One of my favorite guys is in the room. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. But if it's true, if it's of, it's of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Right? Like if everything we say is true, and what we're going to discover over these next few weeks through Ephesians, if it's true, then it has infinite importance for our life. So how many want to receive the challenge? Man, I want to continue to press in and learn what it means to follow Jesus. Everybody, please stand to your feet. I want to send you with this blessing as we go. And if you want prayer, if you want someone to believe for a miracle in your life, forgiveness or healing, reconciliation and relationship, whatever your need, we've got people that would love to pray with you. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Receive this blessing. Christ has been raised from the dead, but he's only the first fruits of those who died. In other words, what is true of Jesus is going to be true of us someday. It already is true of us if we've received his grace. We have resurrection life flowing through our veins. For since death came through one person, resurrection came through one person. And even though Adam, when he sinned, brought death to all of humanity, so today all are made alive through Jesus. May you go fully alive in the riches of God's grace. God bless you. I love you. Give somebody a hug or a high five. Tell them you love them. We'll see you next week at 10 o'clock.